This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, where I interview authors about their latest works. Listen to what inspired the storyline, how their covers and titles were chosen, their personal connection to the story, and other fascinating tidbits about the authors themselves. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I can be found on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts from a Page. And if you have any comments about the podcast or feedback for me, you can reach me through my website, www.thoughtsfromapage.com. Lauren Ho is a reformed legal counsel who writes funny stories. Hailing from Malaysia, she lived in the United Kingdom, France, and Luxembourg before moving with her family to Singapore, where she is ostensibly working on her next novel. Today, she is talking with me about The Last Tang Standing, her debut novel. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Lauren. I am really looking forward to talking with you about Last Tang Standing. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. As good as one can be under current circumstances. And how about you? Doing well. I really, really liked Last Tang Standing. It was so entertaining and so funny. I just laughed constantly while I was reading it, which is definitely welcome in this year of crazy times. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate it when, especially when people tell me, like, oh, it's not typically a, a genre I would pick up, but like your book is so funny. It carried me through everything. So I was like, oh, okay. So that's a really nice thing for you to say. Thanks. Why don't we start out by you telling me a little bit about Last Tang Standing? Sure. So Last Tang Standing basically follows a 30-something female lawyer who is based in Singapore and trying to make her way up the uh, corporate ladder, fending off the unhealthy interests her the mom displays in her love life. So it's a, it's a comedic novel. It's a little bit like a coming-of-age novel in a way, but it also has this really nice romantic subplot. So for fans of rom-com, you, you've got like that romantic element in it. And for people who are just looking for a light read with cultural elements, well, it, it, it would satisfy that itch as well. So that's the book. How did you decide to write about this subject matter? So I myself am a millennial who has faced a lot of the issues that my protagonist Andrea has. But I like to stress uh, that my parents are totally not like the parents, the relatives in Last Dang Standing because I'm half joking, but I kind of want to be invited to the next like family gathering. <laughs> and so <laughs> I like to stress that my parents are really cool. And in fact, most of my immediate family members are really cool and not at all like the tiger parents that you would think populate like Singapore. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, I faced a lot of the challenges that Andrea, my protagonist, had faced. But like at the earlier stage of my life, and I actually thought of the, like I dreamt up the book basically from a set that I had done on stage. So I was an amateur stand-up comic for maybe two years in Singapore. And I was just doing a set about like conditional love and Asian parents. And I just thought to myself, like, there's something there. And I started like writing down ideas and I got the idea for a character. And that's basically how the book was born. I think this is a relevant topic for many cultures trying to, in our modern world, understand that it's okay to maintain your own culture, but also bring in new people and learn new things. This is common to a lot of immigrant cultures because maybe in the past they had faced a lot of microaggressions in their host country based on the fact that they're just different. I think that kind of makes a lot of these parents who are growing up in 
a host country, very protective of their children, and they kind of want to spare their children as much of the hurt and pain that they have experienced themselves growing up. And they believe, rightly or wrongly, that if the children kind of stick to the people who have the same background as them, they won't have to face as much difficulties just getting along together. I think it's just like self-preservation. So a lot of it is just like fear of the unknown or just they wanting to keep the status quo and just making sure that everything's as comfortable as possible for the children and also for themselves because, you know, they're, they're, they're getting along in age and things like that. So I think there is an element of that. But I, I completely agree. I just think that there are a lot of elements about like culture shock and and just I don't want to call it casual racism. I, I just think that, like the inability to accept different cultures is very much not just an Asian thing. I think it's just very common in in, in countries where there are a lot of different uh, cultures living together, and there might have been a difficult history in the past, and people are just trying to figure out in this day and age how to get along better. So I think there are a lot of themes in here in Last Time Standing that could basically translate to like people who are not from the Asian culture, basically. I agree completely, and I think you're saying that way more articulately than I did, but that was my point, that I think that the issues at issue in Last Tang Standing really are relevant to anyone today, and learning to deal Mm -hmm. with different cultures, and people are frequently afraid of what's different Mm -hmm. from them, and I think trying to learn and understand different cultures is the first step toward that. Yes, and reading is just so important because reading outside your comfort zone is really important. And I'm so glad, I myself am supposedly an own voices author, so I'm really glad that in States there is like this whole push right now because of Black Lives Matter or even before that, that they really, really want to see uh, marginalized voices being elevated in publishing. And I'm so glad for that because it's just, it's just so timely and it's just so necessary because people like fiction is a way of bridging that divide in understanding different cultures. So I, I think it's just, it's, it's so necessary and, and just so timely and I'm, I'm for it. So I'm, I'm just really glad that that's happening. I agree completely. I have learned so much recently from reading various own voices, authors and their books, and I think it is completely necessary and it is a great way to get glimpses into other cultures. Yeah. And especially now at this day and age when we can't really travel as well, when we're kind of confined to the home. So it's just a wonderful way to escape as well, you know? It's just like, oh, I can't go to Capri, but I can read Karen Kwan's new book, you know what I mean? I'm looking forward to the days when we can travel again. Oh, I hope so too. (laughs) I love the way you tell the story in diary entries. How did you decide to use that format? Well, I think I always wanted to write in the first person POV. And because Andrea has such a, such a distinct comedic voice, I wanted it to be in diary form because I wanted people to get a sense of who she was immediately, like from the first page. And it's just such an intimate way to get access to the thought process of a protagonist, you know, using a diary form. So for me, there was like, there was no debate. I, 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 I just knew that Andrea had to be written in diary form. I really enjoy that type of format and she is so funny. So the diary format really worked well for telling her story. Thanks. Well, I absolutely love the title on this one. So tell me about it. Was that the title you had from the beginning or how did you, <laughs> how did you come up with the title? This is really a really good question because I remember when I was on submission, I had a totally different title and I'm a bit embarrassed to repeat it now, but because I thought it was like so funny and sardonic and whatever, but now that I think about it, I cringe because it is cringy. And 
I don't know how I settled on Last Time Standing. It was supposed to be a placeholder title until I got something more. I don't. I, I don't know what I was aiming for, but let's just say my editor, my agent loved it, and they were like, "Oh yeah, that's what you should go with. That's good. That's good." So Last Time Standing became the title, but it wasn't Last Time Standing. In the beginning, and I'm so glad that we changed it to Last Time Standing because I think it's catchy and it's memorable. I hope <laughs> a little bit mysterious because you're not really sure what Tang means. There's some kind of signs to getting the title right, and I think it kind of hits all the quadrants. I think it definitely does. It's very relevant to the story. You understand it pretty early on as you're reading, and it's memorable. But I have to ask what the cringy title was. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask. Okay, so originally when I was trying to get agents, and it was like my mother is watching me date colon a novel or something, and I'm thinking about it now. I'm just like, oh, it's such a long title, and it's not even funny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, that was the original title. Well, I do like Last Standing a little better, but I do think it's catchy and it's easy to remember. I sometimes mm-hmm. think some of those titles that just have kind of a bunch of words strung together, it's harder to remember them because you're like, what order do they come in? What is the title? But Last Hang Standing is going to stick with you immediately. Thank you. And that cover, that is actually the whole reason I picked up the book. I just oh, think great. it is fabulous. So tell me about how the cover came about. So I wasn't exactly, unlike uh, Kwe Mai, who I think you interviewed a few episodes ago, I wasn't really given like so many options. I was given like one option and I made some modifications to it. I think because my editor loved it so much, she was like almost afraid that if I saw the others, I would be like, oh no, I think I prefer the other. But yeah, I, I didn't have so much say in it. And it was the same for my UK cover as well. I think I was just given like the final product and just like, oh, what do you think? And I thought, it's pretty great. I'm not an expert, but it looks cool and kind of in the spirit of the book. So I I just went with it. But then later, I don't know how I came across the person's, like the illustrator who did the digital art for the US cover, the red one. I think her her name is Sandra Chu. And I, I happened across, across a blog and I saw the different options and they were really, really good. But I must say that like the red cover was like the clear winner. So, I mean, I'm glad I didn't, I mean, I'm the kind of person, if you give me like a lot of choice, I get confused. So maybe, maybe that was a good thing that they just like stuck to one option and I had some say in how it looked, but yeah. I love it. Red is my favorite color, so I'm always drawn to anything red. But I just think oh, it's great. very simple and clean, and I love how a novel is written in her earring. I just I think know. it's really, really well done, and it's different. And I think in this day and age, when you see a lot of covers that look similar or have the same imagery, that this is fabulous because it just stands out, and you know it's your book the second you see it. Yeah, it's a really great cover. I mean, props to, uh, props to Sandra. Sandra did a great job. Well, are you working on anything at the present? I am kind of working on a standalone novel, which I hope will be picked up by my editor. Hint, hint. It's um, completely different. It's not set in the so-called Tang universe, as one of my readers named it, and I love it. This is a completely different novel. It's standalone. It's going to be set in Singapore, and 
it involves a fictional company that's kind of like Bloomberg and the protagonist who's basically like, again, like not a big fan of what she's doing, but and has like other interests outside of work. And this one involves like a podcast. So I'm really hoping that it gets picked up because I think it's it's great. And obviously I'm biased, but yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Well, I look forward to seeing it when it makes its way out into the world. How long does it take you to write a book? Like how long did it take for you to write Last Hang Standing? Well, the first iteration of Last Hang Standing, which I used to submit to agents and stuff, took me about a year, but it wasn't great. So I got like a, a few rejections, but a few like revise and resubmit requests, right? So I did some revisions. So I guess all in all, it took about a year and a half before like from the first day I started writing to the day I got an agent, it took about a year and a half. But basically after I got an agent and, and we did another revision, it took maybe two months where we had the right version to sell to a publisher and I, we sold it over a week or less. I think it was really, really fast. So I guess all in all, it took me a year and a half to write the book with some time after that to revise and it took me yeah but took me about three years to get to see the book on the shelves which apparently is quite fast I don't know apparently it's quite fast from like the day it was acquired till the day it was published it it took like 11 months so that's pretty fast for a book but yeah the whole process was pretty fast That is very fast. 11 months is really quick. I've had friends whose Mm -hmm. books have sold and then, you know, it's a year and a half later before it's actually published. Oh, that's a typical timeline, a year and a half to two years. But this is fast because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I was noodling and like playing around with with the edits, even like to the very end. And my editor was just like, it's cool. It's cool. It's been good for ages. Just give me the book. And I was like, "Uh, no, but there's this scene. I really need to like not edit my book so much. Well, it's hard. I just trust the editor. Yeah, just let it go. You know, I was so curious, where did the inspiration for Orson come from? Oh, (laughs) I, I had a friend who's had some interesting tinder experiences and in singapore there were there was at one point this like scammer who had like cheated some women from like out of their money and i just kind of put all that together and made orson up but yeah (laughs) he was entertaining i actually really enjoyed that storyline what do you like to do when you're not writing or reading i guess it's probably like a pre-pandemic and post-pandemic response like pre-pandemic i used to love to travel and read and and I guess watch Netflix but I guess nowadays since we can't travel I guess it's just Netflix and reading. I read a lot too and you know early in the pandemic I couldn't really focus. I was having a hard time just because I felt it was so stressful and I was constantly watching my CNN feed as to what was happening and finally my husband's like you need to put that phone away yeah, you know just because it it's so stressful and so then I started reading and I've been able to read even more than I normally do because right? there's so much more time so that's been really nice. And it's just been such a good year for books as well, I feel. I don't know. I, I think like before this year, there was a point in time when I was just not reading that much, which is really sad because I didn't have time because, you know, of work and stuff. But like this year, I've read so many books and it's been such a good year. I mean, there's just such, there's such a bumper crop of books this year, like literally. And it's just wonderful. It's such, 
it's just like a treasure trove of books. I, I love it. I agree completely. I actually um, specialize in historical fiction. And so I do the She Reads historical fiction mm-hmm. roundups. And I just recently turned in the initial 2020 best of. And I couldn't get it any lower than 14. I usually can get to 10. But there have just been wow. so many good books come out this year. But I agree. I think 2020 has been a great year for books. Yeah, it's been really, really good. What would you recommend from historical fiction? Well, like, uh, okay, three. Let's just have three. (laughs) Well, Fiona Davis's book, The Lions of Fifth Avenue, is really good. And that is the number one recommended book by authors who come on my podcast. I mean, it's just over and over again. It's been interesting. And then Hazel Gaynor has a book coming out in October called When We Were Young and Brave about the Japanese occupation of China and then a British school who ended up impacted by that during World War II. It's really good. And I love Susie Orman Schnalls. We came here to shine about the 1939 World's Fair in mm-hmm. New York. And then obviously Quay Mai's book, The Mountain Sing, is one of my favorite books this year. I just think it's oh, amazing. Great. Okay, I've got to read it because I, I was planning to, but I was just worried, you know, because the subject matter is, is quite heavy and she's such a good writer because I've like read some of her other translated stuff and I... I wanted to read it earlier, but I've just been trying not to get into like really, really heavy subject matter books. So I've got to read it. I, I, I've heard such good things about it. Yeah. I mean, I just absolutely beautiful. And the fact that she wrote it in English is just amazing. I, I, I know it's, it's, it's really, I mean, she's, she can do it all. I've also heard of Fiona Davis's book from a couple of people. I, I don't remember. I, I'm, I'm going to pick it. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Well, on that subject, why don't you tell me what you've read lately that you really liked? I'm going to start with like the more established authors because, and I'm going to do a few of my debut author friends. So from like established authors, I really liked Brit Bennett's uh, The Vanishing Half. And I really love Leila Lailami. I hope I'm saying her name right. Leila Lailami's The Other Americans. And I just finished Emily St. John Mandel's Mandel's, sorry, The Glass Hotel. And I thought it was fabulous. I really loved it. So I guess like that would be my three recommendations from like established authors. From my debut group, I recently read Forever 51 by Pamela. Oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher her name. So I don't know how to salt Jovic, I think. But it's a great book because it's about a menopausal woman in her um in her fifties, who's a vampire, and she's trying to like atone for her crimes, and it's basically such a funny book. It's a comedic women's fiction, and I also read Madi Sinha's The White Coat Diaries. I was asked to blurb for it a long time ago, and I thought it was just a really good, warm, funny coming of age age novel about a young doctor who's basically like faced with some ethical dilemmas and like how she get extricates herself out of that and it's so well done for anyone who's looking for a contemporary women's fiction book and own voices as well and i have one more recommendation um this is kind of like a, a genre in itself i guess it's feminist women book i guess by my fellow debut author uh, laney cameron she wrote this book called the exit strategy and it's just a really well done story about two women who are basically like 
trying to make sense of their lives after they find out that they've been kind of like seeing the same man and it's set in Silicon Valley. So it's really interesting. Like I, I like when I have glimpses into worlds that I, I know nothing of, whether it's just like a different age group or a different setting or a different world, you know, a different country, it, it's a different culture. I, I, I So these are the three books I really enjoy from my fellow uh, debut authors, but there are others. I have the White Coat Diaries on my Kindle or my Kindle app from NetGalley, and I need to get to it. I keep hearing how good it is. I'm sure you enjoy it. I also really want to read Somya Dave. Her book is The Well-Behaved Indian Women, and I've heard such good things about it as well. And I really want to, that's like my next, it's on my TBR. It's like, I have to read that next. So really excited about that. It looks like it's good too, and people have been highly recommending it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren, on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Lauren's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope to see you next time. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep. Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, right.